You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. We all know that many are struggling emotionally due to the pandemic. And I recently saw a blog that was entitled, Do Americans Face Greater Mental Health and Economic Consequences from COVID-19? It was comparing the U.S. with other high-income countries, and the study indicates that one-third of U.S. adults reported experiencing stress, anxiety, great sadness that was difficult to cope with by themselves, a significantly higher proportion than in other countries. Only about one in three U.S. adults were able to get help from a professional to deal with these feelings. And as you'll see in this first chart, Americans are more likely than people in other countries to report mental health concerns. The chart shows the percentage of adults who reported experiencing stress, anxiety, or great sadness that was difficult to cope with alone since the outbreak started. And in this next chart, you'll see how Americans who faced economic problems are the ones who most often face mental health problems. When it comes to someone's financial situation or emotional health, you can often discern someone's well-being by looking into their eyes. In fact, Last weekend, my son and some of his friends thought it would be a good idea to go down to Laredo at night with headlamps to hunt for tarantulas out in the wild. What could go wrong there? Well, they had car troubles and had to leave my son's car on the side of the road near Laredo out in the middle of nowhere, and somehow they were able to get home. And he walks into our bedroom the next morning, having just gotten home, and his adrenaline-filled eyes told the whole story of the adventure that he had had the night before. I'll never have to tell him not to do that again. He learned. Well, when I've done counseling with people here at the church, I can often look into their eyes and know part of the story of what they've been experiencing. And this is why I love the words of one of the greatest TV football coaches of all times. That's Coach Eric Taylor of Friday Night Lights. He said, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And I believe that when it comes to having emotional and financial health, this one transforming idea that clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose is certainly the truth. So go ahead and post that transforming idea in the comments. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And today, as we study through Matthew 6, 19 through 34, we'll see three truths that help us have emotional and financial health. So first is clear eyes. Look at me at verse 22, where Jesus says to us, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. So we talk a lot about the eyes, don't we? Like we talk about the evil eye or the ojo. Well, in Matthew 6, a good eye means being generous. A bad eye means being greedy. And this is all according to Jewish commentator David Stern. And if your eye works, you'll be able to move through the room. And if your eye is not working, your whole body is in darkness, even if the room is filled with light. And so Jesus is saying that greed and materialism has a peculiar effect of distorting the way that you see everything. 
It blinds you. In fact, there are people who will not tune into church today when they see that I'm talking about anything having to do with money. And when we talk about greed, everyone is always sure it's not about them. Why is that? Because greed and an unhealthy desire to control our money actually blinds us. Here's why it's so deceptive. If you're stealing, you know you're doing it, right? Because you have that thing that you stole. But with greed, how do you know you're greedy? Very few people know if they're really greedy. In fact, in all my years of ministry, I've never had anyone come to me and say, Pastor Doug, I'm a greedy person. I need help with my greed. And some of you are watching right now and you think, I'm not greedy. You think it's your relative who's greedy or those bad rich people that are greedy. You think this doesn't apply to you. And if you're saying right now that it's not you, that's actually a bad sign. Be careful. You may be blinded by greed. It's deceptive. And here's how greed will blind you. Some people will choose a job that makes them more money rather than a job that helps people or a job that they're passionate about. In fact, some companies and some people are ruining the physical environment and they're ruining the lives of people with undue stress and the employees don't want to know and don't want to say anything. And if you're not even asking about the environmental and human effects of your company, you may be blinded by greed. Greed also keeps you from asking questions about your own personal lifestyle and financial habits. You're all, look, you're always going to be around some people who are making more money than you. And the people who are making more money than you are around people that are making more money than them too. Only a few people would say, yeah, I'm rich. I have a lot of resources. But all Americans, for the most part, are rich when you compare us to the rest of the world. Not many people honestly ask themselves, according to what I have, should I spend this much money on my house, on my clothes, on my car so that I can donate more to the church and to the poor and care for the things that further the kingdom of God. Now, the problem with greed is that you can't hold yourself accountable because you can be deceived by greed by trying to hold yourself accountable. It's kind of like an addict trying to hold himself accountable to keep from using drugs or alcohol. Well, money has the power to keep you from asking the hard questions about how you make your money and how you spend your money. You, uh, who have you authorized to hold you accountable personally for how you use your money, your resources? If left unchecked, greed has the power to destroy our emotional health and the lives of other people. Greed can deceive us into thinking that money is our significance. Some have to live in certain prestigious neighborhoods or they have to wear certain clothes or eat at certain high-end restaurants. And if we can afford those things, we think that we're better than those uh, who can't afford those types of things. We think that those who can't afford those things are below or beneath us. And when we make more money, we can be tempted to think that we're better than the poor. And here's what Jesus teaches is that the sign that money has no power over you is when you're able to get really, really generous. The clear eye in Matthew 6 means being generous. The clear eye is always looking for opportunities to give to someone in need. So 
where do you start with generosity if you want to get started having a clear eye? Well, there's a pastor and author, Tim Keller, who says, for most people, most places, for most parts of the world, the tithe is the goal. The Bible says give away 10%. That's a good way to tell whether or not the gospel is working in your heart, because if the gospel is working in your heart, you see what Jesus Christ has done for you, 10% doesn't seem like much, right? 10% doesn't seem like much when you compare it to what Jesus has done for you. 10% does mean a sacrifice for most of us. And there are some who are watching this stream that 10% doesn't even make a dent in your lifestyle. Look, generosity is the reason the early Christians were so emotionally healthy and were so winsome to the culture around them. I love this ancient letter that was written by a guy named Diognetus, which describes the early church. And here's what he says. He says, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners, as citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as foreigners. They have a common table, but not a common bed. See, the early Christians were generous with their money, but they were stingy with their beds. And you know, sometimes I feel that modern church people are generous with their beds and stingy with their money. And that is a sure path to emotional turmoil. Look, the world around us is watching the way we live and how we use our resources. And that's clear from the book called The Emerging Order, God in the Age of Scarcity that was written by Jeremy Rifkin. And the book talks about the continuous economic growth in our world economy and how it's like a black hole that has already consumed much of the world's non-renewable resources. And the author, who is not a Christian person, closes the book with a surprising thought. Look at it with me. He says, the only solution to our approach to life is the reemergence of the evangelical Christian ethic, which is an ethic of unselfishness and low consumption. So this non-Christian author knows that clear eyes related to our stuff is the way forward. And you know, throughout this talk, throughout this teaching, there are going to be multiple ways that we can apply the Bible truths to our lives today, but I'll be asking you just to pick one way that you're to apply these truths in your life. Just one, because we're all, if you're like me, I'm getting bombarded with messages all week, and so we just have to pick one thing that we can do to take one step towards having clear eyes. And so perhaps the clear eyes application for you would be to choose to consume less and be a tither of donating 10% of your income to strangle greed out of your heart. And when your eyes get clear, you have a full heart. When our, as a group, as our eyes get clear, we have full hearts. Remember, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. So post in the comments, I've got a full heart. And so look with me at uh, verse 21, where Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. 
And today, we're talking about our hearts, not just our heads, because some of you know a lot of things about money. You already know you're supposed to be generous. You already know you're not supposed to be materialistic. You already know you're supposed to save money and get out of debt. You already know you're supposed to tithe at church and invest your money, and over time, compounding interest makes you exponentially more, so you have the opportunity to provide for your family and be generous to others, which is in your heart. Some of you know all of those things I just said, yet many in San Antonio have lived for generations in a poverty mindset or what I would call today a poverty heart. Look, poverty is not so much how much you have and how much you don't have. It's something in your heart. The poverty heart operates out of fear and anxiety. And it says there's not enough to go around. It's jealous of those who are better off. And if you're poor, the gospel allows you to love the rich. If you're well off, the gospel also allows you to respect and love poor people. You know, out in the suburbs, they don't see poor people. They just zone the poor out. But down here in the city, we cross paths with the poor all the time. And we have to make sure that we don't feel superior to street people are callous to their needs. So how do you react to rich people? Some of you resent the rich. And you know what that's an indicator of? If you resent the rich, it's an indicator that money actually has a stranglehold on your heart. And the gospel allows you to love rich people. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word millionaire? Well, if you're like me, you know, I'll be honest with you. I sometimes, when I hear the word millionaire, I think, oh, those entitled one percenters, you know, those people who didn't earn what they have, but were privileged to inherit it. Well, did you know that I'm wrong about that? If you think the way that I was just describing that I sometimes think, you're wrong about it too. Did you know that we're being pitted against others for political gain? So how about we look at the facts and the data, not feelings, that have been planted into our minds by people trying to control us. And I got much of this from a book called Everyday Millionaire by a guy named Chris Hogan. And his research team conducted the largest and most comprehensive study on millionaires ever done. They interviewed over 10,000 millionaires. So the sample size was significant. And they defined millionaire as someone whose net worth was over $1 million. Now, net worth is simply everything you own minus everything you owe. And Hogan explains that 74% of millennials and 52% of baby boomers believe millionaires inherited all their wealth. And that is way wrong. Here's the real data. The overwhelming majority, 79% of millionaires in the United States, did not receive any inheritance at all from their parents or other family members, while one in five millionaires, 21%, received some inheritance. Only 3% received an inheritance of one million or more. So the vast majority of millionaires either didn't get any inheritance at all or certainly didn't get enough to make them millionaires. Here's what they do. Millionaires live on less than what they make. They plan ahead and save. They use coupons. Another thing the study indicated is that they stay married. 75% of married millionaires have been married for 32 years on average. 
So what do you think are the top professions of millionaires? You think it's doctors or lawyers? Well, let me show you. The top three careers of millionaires are engineers, accountants, teachers. So look, only 31% averaged $100,000 a year over the course of their career and one third never made six figures in any single working year of their career. And Chris Hogan goes on to say, I've talked to a lot of millionaires and most of them have average jobs with average pay like teachers or firefighters. It just goes to show that how you spend and invest the money you make matters more than how much you actually bring home. Now look, here's why I'm telling you all this stuff about millionaires, is that our prejudice against people with money reveals a cancer in our hearts, and it keeps us in the poverty mindset. We should learn from people who have earned a million dollars. And look, I've been all over the world loving the poor and ministering to them over the past 30 years. I've ministered to the poor and alongside the poor for over 12 years here in the inner city of San Antonio. And most people who are poor don't want to be poor. And look, I don't want you to live in poverty. I want you to be blessed financially so that your families are provided for and you can be generous like what I know is in your heart to do. And many of you have a heart to be generous, but you've always been told that you'd have to win the lottery, inherit money, be a professional athlete, or get into an Ivy League school to make money. And I am telling you, The data supports the fact that you can do it if you want to. You can work, earn, save, invest, and give money. And I want some of you to have more money. Why do I want that for you? Because I know you want to be generous. It's in your heart. I agree with what Margaret Thatcher said many years ago, she said, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he had only had good intentions. He had money as well. So being rich and being poor have their unique problems, don't they? The rich are tempted to trust in their stuff and the poor are tempted to doubt God will give them what they need. The poor are tempted to be afraid and worry in false insecurity of poverty, and the rich are tempted to become self-satisfied in the false security of wealth. So as we think about how we're going to apply this part of the teaching today, perhaps in your heart you just want to say, I'm choosing in this heart to keep it pure, to respect the rich and learn from them, and also to respect and love the poor. So Jesus teaches us that if we have clear eyes and these full hearts that we've been talking about, we can't lose. And so you may just want to post in the comments right now, I can't lose. And look at what Jesus says in verse 26. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Your heavenly father already knows all your needs. But look at verse 33. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you want. 
No, everything you need. You can't lose. He'll provide everything you need. We can't lose if we seek his kingdom first as the highest priority. Living righteously is the key. Now, living righteously in this text means working for our money. And it means being generous with what we've worked for, with what we've earned. And when we do this, he provides everything we need. And when you have what you need, it brings emotional peace in your life. This is why that popular author, Dave Ramsey, uh, created the class and the book, and it's called Financial Peace. The point is to have peace, not emotional turmoil. And if you've been through financial peace and you're passionate about it, go ahead and hit Pastor Lee with an email and let him know you would like to start leading financial peace here in our church. Now, Notice earlier I said that being righteous means working for our money. You can't lose when you go to work. Paul had a rule for the Thessalonian believers, and I want to show it to you in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat, right? And so we don't want to be lazy people who aren't willing to work. But when you work for your money you get to enjoy it. Like Paul explains to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 17. Their trust should be in God who, look at this, richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy what you work for and earn. Now, let me show you a few reasons why, as Christ followers, we don't have to worry about money. And the first idea is this, that the Father, our Father, He controls everything. Everything. Go back to the Old Testament. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. It says, He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. So God is in control of the seasons and God is in control of who's going to be king or president or whatever. And the guy who wrote this was actually thrown into the lion's den. And the Bible tells us that the king that had Daniel thrown into the lion's den actually stayed up all night worrying to the point where he couldn't sleep. Yet Daniel evidently slept great while he was lying down next to lions who could have eaten him, but God shut their mouths because he's in control of everything. Look at this. The father takes care of the birds and the flowers. Have you ever just watched birds They spend a good amount of their time that just foraging around for food for themselves and their young. They just forage around until they've eaten enough, everything they need. And look at what Jesus says in verse 26. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Look, worry doesn't help your life expectancy at all. Dr. Charles Mayo of the famous Mayo Clinic said, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I've never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. Isn't that the truth? So look, the flowers, they don't worry. They don't worry at all, yet they're more naturally beautiful than any of the Photoshop magazine models we see in the checkout checkout line at the H-E-B grocery store. And look at what Jesus said in verse 28. He says, look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. 
Look, the gods of fashion waste our money. Even our best fashion will end up in the thrift store someday, so maybe we ought to just start there. And look, let me show you the third reason that we don't have to worry, and it's because our Father owns everything. Look at Psalm 24, 1, where David said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And you know, once many years ago, uh, there was a historic Bible teacher named John Wesley, and he was on his way home, and a guy ran up and he said, your house is burning down, your house just burned down. And Wesley said, no, it hasn't, because I don't own a house. The one I have been living in belongs to the Lord. And if it's burned down, that is one less responsibility for me to worry about. So see, John Wesley understood that everything he stewarded was the Lord's. And everything that you and I own, everything on the planet is owned by our Lord, our Father, who loves us and cares about us and wants to provide for us. So look, have you ever played that uh, board game Monopoly? I heard pastor and author John Ortberg explain how life is kind of like Monopoly. Now, does anybody besides me have that family member who's kind of uber competitive at board games, you know, like Monopoly? They're ruthless, you know. They get all the pretend properties. They get all the play money and all the satisfaction of winning over you and me when we're at family gatherings. Yet when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. All the properties, all the play money goes back into the box. And isn't that just like life? It all goes back in the box. Our cars, our stereo systems, iPhones and Androids, wireless earbuds, Armani suits, Louis Vuitton bags, Yeezy sneakers, fishing poles, hunting rifles, sports trophies, computers, heirloom silverware or workshop tools, they all go back in the box. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of the things that I just mentioned, but we've got to keep it into perspective that it all goes back in the box. In fact, a couple of years ago, we went to my aging parents' house to help them clean out their attic and garage. And I'll never forget my dad's face when he saw many of his possessions that he couldn't use anymore going into a dumpster, a box. And I was reminded this recently when on a phone conversation with my parents who recently made the arrangements for their own funerals and purchased their own caskets so us kids wouldn't have to pay for any of that when the time comes. Because my parents understand that even our own bodies will end up in a box. There are a few things that won't go back in the box. God's word in your heart will remain forever and people's souls. And you know, sometimes I notice my own heart starting to get hard. And there are a couple of things that I can do that help soften my own heart. The first one is, I hear your stories. When I hear your stories of changed lives, it does something good in my heart. You know, I'm so proud of my friend Brett, who led friend Sabrina to the Lord and was able to baptize her recently. And now Brett and Sabrina help with Alpha Course 
here at the church. So Sabrina not only got a relationship with the Lord, but she got Brett as her boyfriend, a handsome, godly man with a good job. And Sabrina, coming to know Jesus, softens my heart. And I'm so proud of her in the way that she's growing, and I'm proud of Brett. And you know another thing that breaks the power of greed in my heart is when I give sacrificially. It just does something to me. It helps my heart. Back in April, you know, many of you guys were very generous with our benevolence fund that's helping tons of people right now. And my wife and I were prompted to give beyond our comfort zone to that offering. And, you know, one of the benefits that I have is I get to read the stories from my friend Danny Kreifels, who manages our benevolence funds. And he sends me the stories of people who are being helped. And recently, a sister in our church lost her job because she was sick and she had to go into quarantine. Well, together, our giving paid for her rent and food for her and her family. And I'm sometimes hard-hearted, but when I read these kinds of stories, I start to melt. And sometimes tears just roll down my face as I'm reading the email on my computer screen. It's good for my emotional health to give. It gives me joy. The joy that those tears and knowing people are being cared for are the reward. But if that reward wasn't enough of a reward, a couple of weeks ago, God, through a source out of state who had no idea what Jeannie and I had given to the Benevolence Fund, sent us six times what we gave to the fund. Now we're able to give some more, which will bring us even more joy, right? The Bible is clear that clear eyes, full hearts can't lose when we trust him with our money. Look at Proverbs chapter three, verse nine. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with wine. Now look at Luke 638. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And then there's 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so what is the application for you and I today? Well, those of you that don't believe or don't buy into the Bible or Jesus or Christianity or anything like that, the last thing we want you to think is that we're asking for your money. This service is our gift to you. But I'm talking right now to those of you that are Christ followers, that are already tithers, and you want to grow in this grace of giving. Maybe the application for people like you and I is that we sow a little extra this week, and then we watch for God to show off because he does, doesn't he? Sometimes we have to go without to give a little extra, don't we? You know, I remember my mother was writing a check for our restore fund, the fund that we used to restore the Cameo Theater a couple of years ago. And I said to her, mother, no, I don't want you to write that check because you guys are aging right now and you guys need the money. You're on a fixed income. I don't want you to give money to my church. And she said, Doug, and she stopped me in a way that only my mother is allowed to do. She said, if it doesn't hurt, it's not giving. It's not giving if it doesn't hurt. And maybe someone is being prompted to give in such a way that it hurts. 
Now, after hearing all of this teaching and Bible truths, some of you are starting to get clear eyes. And it's dawning on you that this clear eye thing related to your resources could be denigrating your emotional health. And you're thinking, okay, maybe I am. Maybe I'll admit it. I'll come out of my denial. Maybe I'm a little bit greedy. Maybe I could grow in my generosity. So how do I break the power of greed and money in my own heart? Well, look at what Jesus says in verse 20. He says, Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your what? Your heart will also be. And so I believe that what Jesus is teaching there is that we are to treasure heavenly treasure. Did you catch that? Treasure, heavenly treasure. Everyone has something they treasure. Treasuring something means to love the beauty and value of something. And what is it that you treasure? Everyone on this stream has something that's your treasure. Maybe it's your career or a hobby or a possession. I don't know what it is for you, but you think as long as I have this thing, I'm okay, I'm good. And I think that this treasuring is the point of J.R.R. Tolkien in Lord of the Rings when Gollum has the ring and he calls it what? My precious. What is your precious? The thing that you value the most. You'll do anything to keep it. Sometimes our treasures require us to give too much effort, even giving of our lives, yet our treasures seldom give their lives for us. And that's where the gospel comes in. Jesus is the only treasure that is willing to give his life for you. He had the ultimate status and security in heaven, yet he was stripped of everything. He lost all of his treasure. Why? Because he views you, he views us as his precious. It's like he said, if I have them, it's worth giving my life. You are his treasure. And that's why you can have clear eyes, full hearts that can't lose. If you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, today is the day to do it. So let's bow for prayer and talk to him just for a minute. If you would like to receive love relationship with Jesus Christ today, just simply pray in your own heart to him and say, Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross to purchase me, to pay for my sin, to welcome me into love relationship with God. So come on into my life. And those of us that already know God, we're saying in our hearts, God, we want to have clear eyes, full hearts, so that we can't lose. We don't want money or resources or stuff to be our gods. We want only you to control our hearts so that we can experience your peace and joy on the inside. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Well, would you dream with me just for a minute? What if we 
became a crazy, generous church. Now, I know it sounds crazy since we're in the inner city and our congregation is made up of mostly middle and lower income people. But what if we got out of all the poverty mindsets and out of debt and we learned to manage our money and even make more money? Not so we can spend it on stupid stuff that ends up back in the box. Not so we can hoard it, but so we can generously give it to those who are in need. So we can continue to fund the work in Africa, maybe even finish off the school for the kids there. So we can continue to support orphan kids at Casa Hogar in Mexico and homeless families over at Strong Foundation. So we can continue to fund church plants to further God's kingdom here on the earth. Did you know that if all the people who streamed our services over the past three weeks showed up at our building after the pandemic is over, there'd be no way we could hold everyone. Eventually, we're going to have to do something so that more and more people, the treasures of God, can come to know Jesus and find freedom here at City Tribe Church. It's totally worth the money because people are the treasures of God. And if you're new here, here's how to donate at City Tribe Church. You can just send those uh, checks by mail to P.O. Box 830-745, San Antonio, Texas, 78283. Or you can do so by text. Just simply text the word tribe, T-R-I-B-E, space, and the dollar amount to 74483. That's 74483. You can also donate online at citytribe.church slash tithe. And as always, it helps others if you'll share, subscribe, and like this video. And so for our benediction today as we wrap up, I'd like you to think about your personal financial situation as I speak the serenity prayer. So when it comes to my finances, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. We'll see you next week when we'll be talking about nature's medicine for our souls. So you don't want to miss it next week. Also, check your email because I sent you an email this week about when we're going to be reopening our church for services. So you guys have an amazing Sunday and we'll see you next time. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.